Hey there, Nasty Casties. It's me, Mr. 50K, Josh C. Now, I know you and I, we haven't always seen eye to eye. We haven't always getting along. You know, sometimes on the show, I just say something cruel about you, a throwaway joke, and listen, maybe I should not. Because I see the number growing. I see that you are, despite my uh, outward <laughs> opinions and uh, attitude, really, you are a vital portion of the Wrestling Brain family, and we appreciate it. So, here is my olive branch. This is me reaching out to you, the nasty casties, and ostensibly, ultimately asking for money, which is what everybody online does, so I apologize. But I thought I would give out last week's mailbag, which you were about to listen to, for free here on the Wrestling Brain feed. Now, this is something I normally do behind the paywall at patreon.com slash j0shc, but I'm putting out this preview for a couple reasons, mainly because it's All Out Weekend. And every year for All Out Weekend, I put behind the paywall my list of my top 10 favorite active men's wrestlers now this is going to be a blast it's always a, a fiery discussion in the discord after as people remark on what bad taste i have as well you will get the entire back catalog of every wrestling brain episode such as the one you're about to listen to right now this mailbag ecw month the lou marshall there's a plethora of content back there i encourage you to listen but ultimately it's all out week and you're going to be watching Dynamite. You're going to be watching Rampage. You're going to be watching All Out. You might even be watching GCW War Games on Saturday. And if you're going to be taking in that content, let me tell you. You want to be in my Discord with the hunks chatting about it all. There is no better community of diehard wrestling fans having discourse about the business we all love than at patreon.com slash j0shc. $5 a month is your ticket into there and all the content like this. Even if you don't donate, we really appreciate the support here for Wrestling Brain. And until I talk to you next, Nasty Casties, love and energy. baby josh custodio how we doing out there patrons how are the hunks today happy monday well maybe you're not listening to this on monday i'm recording this saturday but putting it out sunday night at midnight so i'm assuming this is like a monday morning commute thing for you so i hope i hope the monday blues aren't hitting too hard if you're listening to it now and if you're listening to it near the end of the week happy friday it's almost the weekend you made it and if you're not listening to it at all i have no message for you what a waste of time that would be. Been a while since I've done a mailbag back here. I'm excited to dive in. I like doing these. Now, the reason I don't do them behind here as much anymore is because we were trying to build it into the network. Because the three that we had done there, I don't know if people remember, we did three months where the last Sunday of each month, we'd do this live, Zoobs and I, uh, the mailbag show. And those were getting good ratings and people seemed to enjoy them. And I like doing it. I think doing it live always is uh, going to be have a slight preference for me. But with Zoobs' increased schedule, it just becomes a thing where it's like, okay, this can go back behind the paywall, and I'm excited to do it. Maybe it will be, we're going to find out. You can let me know. Is this way worse without the Zoobs? I mean, sort of. But is it half as good? Let's hope not. Let's hope I can hit 80% as good as those live, back and forth, Zoobs and I mailbags. Good questions, though, which always makes it, you know, leagues easier. I was right, you know, as I go through the Twitter thread here. You know, you sit down, you start scrolling through. It's like, oh, there's some good questions here. I can make some content. So let's do it. Let's get into it. Thank you so much for your patronage, as always. Uh, it means the world to me. It genuinely does. I don't, the wrestling brain on whole is like the thing I have going on now. 
it's, it's almost embarrassing to admit how much this means to me now. So uh, very much appreciated. Let's get into some hard-hitting questions. The first one here coming from at Corncob Dipshit. Number one Don Sweeney fan. Kev Sell, I believe, in the Discord. Am I right about this? I think I'm right about this. Which AEW wrestler do you think has the most potential as a Hollywood crossover star? Well, I hate to use such a stressed, labored, overused piece of comparison, but I do not think that the comparisons between Ricky Starks and The Rock stop at sort of the flamboyant, pose-off, peak-of-human-confidence thing that they're both betraying. I happen to think that Ricky Starks would be the person who can make the best transition to Hollywood of everybody in AEW. Now, he hasn't done pro wrestling acting on the level of a CM Punk or MJF, or he doesn't bring believability quite like Eddie Kingston, but he does have something very Hollywood about him, right? If it wasn't taken by Hogan, instead of Absolute, I would recommend replacing or rather using the nickname Hollywood for Ricky Starks. Hollywood Ricky Starks sounds good and works well. I think he looks good on camera and he carries himself with that confidence that already feels uh, very Hollywood. So Ricky Starks, my answer for who on the AEW roster could make the best transition to Hollywood. Next up here, the great Torque Penderloin. At Torque Penderloin, of course, Horse Masker asking, when you see Will Ospreay matches, it's hard to deny his talent, but his obsession with kicking out of finishers bugs the hell out of me. How do you feel about it? Well, I hate to be somebody who's sort of talking out of both sides of their mouth, but I'm going to be here because I definitely do want finishers protected. But Will Ospreay isn't kicking out of finishers that normally don't get kicked out of. So he gets kicked out of, uh, or he does a one-winged angel and has somebody kick out of it, or he gets hit by the Rainmaker and get, kicks out twice out of it in the G1 finale. But it's worth noting for Okada and Naito, the Rainmaker and the, the Destino do get kicked out of. The one that doesn't get, I don't mean to give away their matches, but you can like literally watch this in their matches. You know if they're going to kick out of the finisher or not by if they get different versions of it. For Okada, it's the full extension Ripcord Rainmaker that never gets the kick out of. For Naito, it's the standing Destino. So if he's running and gets the Destino, it's a kick out. But if he's standing, taunt, then he does the flip over, that's the one, two, three. So with Osprey. It's a good way to establish people at the top of the card. There hasn't been one yet where I go, oh, this guy, like it sounds like you, Slack, or like this fucking guy, this is driving me crazy. I haven't shared in that. I also think I probably have a higher tolerance than Will for Will Ospreay than uh, a lot of people. I, I like his wrestling generally, especially how it's come along in the past couple of years. So it hasn't bothered me yet, but as a trend and certainly in less capable hands than his, I like finishers to be protected. So a little bit of two answers there, but uh, it is how I feel about it. Next up here, the streets are calling. It's Ryan Schapp, my pal, at Schapp Top. Uh, he's saying, I need your thoughts on Punk's comments and challenge to Hangman last night. Hopefully more context or info comes forward by the time of recording. All right. So a lot to cover here, right? So for those of you who didn't catch Dynamite this week, CM Punk doing a promo mostly against Jon Moxley. But right at the beginning of it, he says, I got some important stuff to address and some unimportant stuff to address. And let's get the unimportant stuff out of the way. He does this cross-legged pose. He sits down in the ring and he says, Hangman Page, you're talking all this ish. Why don't you come out here right now? You can have your world title rematch. Come out right this moment. Of course, we all know Hangman doesn't see this coming. It's not even within... He could not if he wanted to come out this morning. And Punk goes, okay, well, that's that's not cowboy shit. That's coward shit. And continues on sort of on his promo with John Moxley. Now, I have to admit, when we watch... I mean, you can go listen to Double Dudes on Wednesday. I thought this was a good promo. A shot at Hangman for a future feud or maybe some insertion into the main event now that they are going to be doing John Moxley versus uh, CM Punk on the TV this week. But I must admit... 
by no stretch of the imagination did I think that those comments were going to lead to what they've become. This week has led to a, uh, what, a brigade against CM Punk, a this guy, he's everything he hates over in New York. He was talking shit about The Rock for coming back part-time and having to put him over and ditto for Lesnar. And now look at him, burying the young talent, shitting on Hangman when he can't even come out. Okay, Ryan, you're asking for my thoughts on this. The context that we've been provided since that episode, and when I say context, I mean what the dirt sheets have reported. So, it, which also in the case of Sean Ross Sap is going back and forth in terms of what he's reporting. He, you know, you could either you get him on both sides of this issue, uh, depending on what screenshot of which uh, Fightful Select article uh, you were reading. But to me, there might be a little tension between Punk and Hangman. You know, there might be some. I imagine if I'm an AEW roster member who is at the top of it. I probably wouldn't like that CM Punk was being launched to the very top. But do I think that that locker room hates CM Punk or that hangman hates CM Punk? Absolutely not. I think that Punk knows he's going to be engaging with hangman in the future. Much like he's been keeping the Eddie Kingston feud alive. Every time, no matter who John or CM Punk is talking to, he takes a shot at Eddie Kingston, a guy he already beat. He likes to keep flames alive. He likes to keep irons in the fire. I don't read this as anything more complicated than that. And I suspect this Wednesday, it will probably make perfect sense why he brought up Hangman there. And if not this Wednesday, in the weeks or maybe months to follow. Now, I don't want to be one of these New York pilled people. It's like, we got to wait for it to pay off. And then it never pays off. You're two years later. And it's like, well, you really got to wait for it to pay off. And I don't want to be that guy. Uh, I don't think Punk does a lot of things in AEW without purpose. I think he's a very chosen, particular, specific person. Uh, and I think this Wednesday, you're probably going to see insertion into the John Moxley and him feud. Or that match is going to end and Punk's next feud is going to emerge via Hangman, via MJF. And I think these comments are going to make a, a lot more sense. So that's what I think largely is going on here uh, in a more specific behind the paywall sense. I think CM Punk is leaking information either via sources or directly to both SRS and Meltzer. Uh, I think if you watch the press conference from after, oh geez, those last pay-per-view, Double or Nothing, CM Punk is crying about how much he likes AEW and has refound his love for wrestling. I think if you go look at Dax and Cash's Twitter feeds, they have both retweeted and said things themselves that lead you to believe that they're sort of like, people think Punk is a bully backstage. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Like, these people are very easily worked. I think that is exactly what's happening here. I think Punk and Hangman, at worst, have a little bit of tension because of Punk's, you know, Hangman gets his big moment off of Kenny, and then it feels like he has this lackluster, to me, I know some people like it more than me, to me, a lackluster title reign, and then it's on to CM Punk, who's the the out-of-towner. Now, why this is such a giant piece of hypocrisy is that CM Punk was calling out part-timers. CM Punk is not a part-timer. CM Punk, when he is well, is on Dynamite each and every week. In fact, he's the biggest rating on the show. Every week when he's there, he's not coming for the show before Mania and forcing the full-timers to promo with video packages. The, 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 the compare the two is insanity. Uh, and so, Ryan, that's that's what I think is going on. I think people are, uh, CM Punk's dropping little heel uh, remarks against Mox. Now, I think their feud is going to be just both of them acting as they want to, a little bit like uh, Punk and Kingston was. But I think that this suits CM Punk fine. He was trending on Twitter Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday this week. He was the toast of the pro wrestling world in either direction. Uh, to me, CM Punk's just selling some tickets and continuing feuds. Up next here, we get uh, Blake Murphy sending one in. A thoughtful one here. Sent uh, like an arrow directly to my heart, of course, at Blake Murphy. ODC asking, 
it feels like ever since Tetsuya Naito reached the end of his redemptive arc, and then in brackets, or at least as far as they'll give us. Now, before I even finish the question, I'm actually satisfied with the Naito arc. I know people feel like the, the Kent interruption and then COVID. You get the moment. You get Wrestle Kingdom 14. He does the double dash gold. He beats Okada. He stands tall. Like, to me... It's a, the they'll give us here is not needed. That's a open closed arc. And given what everything we've heard about Naito's back basically being glass and held on, I think maybe that was the expectation. Anyway, here's the question. I'll start again. It feels like ever since Naito reached the end of his redemptive arc, he's been just kind of floated as a 1B level guy. What's the most compelling next part of the Naito story for you? What defines a man when his defining story is complete? Well, beautifully worded, of course, no surprise to anybody, Blake, one of the greatest writers out there. Here's what I think, Blake. I think that the most compelling part of the Naito story becomes about his beloved L.I.J. The founder of Los Ingovernables Du Japon, of course, the, the story told over and over again, his excursion to CMLL, interacting with Andrade and Roosh and Dragon Lee over there, encountering Los Ingovernables and bringing that ethos back to New Japan and uh, finding overness like he had never found before in that. But I think right under the surface, you're saying he's been presented as a 1B-level guy. In moments, he is presented as a 1B-level guy within his own faction. Now, don't get me wrong. Naito leads LIJ. But who is more relevant in the top title scene, Shingo or Naito? I think over the past couple of years, you would simply have to say Shingo. I think he's been a title, well, both title holder for ages during the pandemic. And I think he's challenged every person who's held the belt in the past couple of years. Certainly, yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. I think that might even be true for the Never title now that I think about it going back three years. So to me, Blake, the most compelling story that's left is the ascension of Shingo Tagaji as the leader of Los Angeles New Japan, resulting in Naito's booting out. Now, will they do this? I don't know. Uh, but other factions in New Japan, don't they don't have a 1A, 1B situation like that. Okada leads chaos. Suzuki, well, I, I suppose you could make an inertist argument for uh, Zack Sabre Jr. over Suzuki, but even then, I think when you see them in the hierarchy, they feel further apart. Suzuki's status and cachet accounting for a lot there, whereas uh, Zack Sabre Jr. maybe plays a little more predominantly on the card these days, not as relevant to Shingo to the world heavyweight title picture. So I think his defining story is going to be uh, Shingo usurping him out of his faction. Um, I think that you could also see that, frankly, in Zack Sabre Jr., Minoru Suzuki. But I think with Naito, there's just... It, it would be the biggest thing they could do with him, and you send him out into the night to become a New Japan dad. Of course, I'm not saying we never see Naito again. I'm saying he's just doomed to a life of six mans, uh, squaring off against Yuji Nagata and whoever else is injured from... Uh, well, who would be Naito's... Because he'll have to retire before Okada, who's always seen as his generational equal. This may be Goto. You know, the way Tanahashi's aging, you should not know Tanahashi is dads for another 20 years to come. But that's where I'm at. The the LIJ factor, the, the faction that means so much to him, is the story that you could still do with him. And I think that that's uh, exactly what I would do. Um, next here, Dr. Fruits Are Edible, PhD, at Fruits Are Edible. Now, that's real. Anyone can just put their name in, in Twitter saying PhD. That's a real in this case. Asking. How would you book MJF's return to AEW? Now, of course, this is a, a big what if. As we all know, MJF is fired. So let's let's just get the laughs out of the way. I'm obviously operating in a universe where Tony Khan did not fire MJF here. This is a, a rhetorical, I think you call that, a, a what if uh, thought experiment. At All Out, 
CM Punk and John Moxley. Now, the, the timing of this question, this is a great question. This isn't me dumping on the question. But the timing of this question right before this Wednesday, I mean, the answer here could age so poorly immediately, right? Because as we head into this week's Dynamite, CM Punk is putting up his World Heavyweight title in the unification match against John Moxley. And I think we're all probably expecting an angle in there. Whether there's a clean finish or not, there's an angle in the match or post-match. I think we all agree there. So bear with me here. And we're pretending Mox and Punk are going to be at all out. Now, there could be a third person, maybe a hangman in that match. But but in some way, CM Punk and John Moxley are still in a title match at all out in this situation. Okay, so, so bear with me. CM Punk is about to lose to John Moxley. Mox has proven himself to just be too dogged. Punk is older. He's broken down. And Mox is a guy who has shown in 2022 that GCW, New Japan, no, no matter what fed you are, you can send your best talent to big fucking Mox and he'll eat them for lunch and dinner. Uh, and CM Punk is no different. However, I am ready for the CM Punk heel turn. And I don't think I'm alone there. I think Mox can actually fill that gap of your top baby face in AEW. Will he do it to the degree that CM Punk has? Of course not. Uh, Punk, a much bigger star than Mox right now for a plethora of fact factors that Mox can't really close the distance on right now. But I think he's a, a big enough top babyface that you could turn Punk at this point. And I think a little bit too early is always right for a turn. And I think people are ready to hate Punk. And like I had mentioned in the previous question, he does feel like he's dropping little crumbs of that along the way. So as Mox is, I don't know, setting up the Death Rider is he has the bulldog choke locked in one way or another maxwell jacob friedman helps cm punk cheat to beat john moxley now why would maxwell jacob friedman help cm punk of course their feud uh, a blood feud a bluff they, they should in theory hate each other but at the core of the cm punk mjf feud is the fandom of mjf to cm punk is how CM Punk sees himself in MJF. When you are seeing yourself in someone and you're CM Punk, you're acknowledging that they're not a great person. CM Punk's best, or not best moments, biggest moments are in the heel persuasion. He is there ready to align with MJF in my mind. MJF Punk as a, I'm not saying a tag team, but a loose affiliation with the Stokely Hathaway gang. Think how the Shield was uh, CM Punk's backup. This quasi, well, somebody else is probably screaming a better word for this at their, uh, into their headphones right now, but uh, an affiliation of sorts between CM Punk and the coming MJF faction. I would have MJF return there to help CM Punk turn heel and retain his title against John Moxley. To tease that on the Wednesday Go Home show, I would have Wardlow and FTR in ring who are sort of... Uh, you know, both punk adjacent and have heat with MJF. And I would have Wardlow and FTR attacked by Gun Club, All Ego Ethan Page, and Lee Moriarty. Of course, standing behind them, Stokely Hathaway, who's given them all cards this the past couple weeks. I think MJF is aligned with those guys, okay? So I think that faction beats down Wardlow and FTR going into the pay-per-view. And then those guys appear with MJF at the pay-per-view that faction is now created, whether it's still the Pinnacle, the Pinnacle 2, whatever they want to call it. They attack the old Pinnacle, and they ascend. He helps CM Punk cheat to win. You have heel CM Punk at the top of the card, and MJF is back, and now he's leading a faction. Or at least the top guy in the faction, I suppose. Stokely would technically be leading the faction. I'm doing this all live one take, by the way, here. So I'm just going to take a drink. So if you've got a drink in front of you, maybe you've been holding off on taking a drink 
because uh, you don't you don't want to miss a word of what I'm saying and drinking is loud. So now, if that's been the case, let's pause for a couple seconds here. I'm gonna take a, a, a swig of my beverage here. That was good. That hit the spot. Game of Your Life podcast at G O Y L Pod asks, the year is 2025. Vince McMahon is in the rear view, and WWE has a refreshingly great product. Meanwhile, AEW has remained on the same trajectory and is doing better than ever. So this is a pretty a pretty uh, a fun future we're picturing here in 2025. Two questions. Who are the top male, female, and tag performers in each company? And two, is this the best that wrestling has ever been? Wow. Here's the first, to the first question. The top male, female, and tag performers in AEW, to me, would be MJF, Jade Cargill, and I don't think whoever the tag team is, is assembled right now. I think it'll be, you know, if you do something with the BCC, what I know, maybe this feels like a cop-out answer. If it has to be someone on the roster, my point really here is that they've, they're underserving the tag division right now. And it's hard for me to imagine who are the tag teams that are going to, like, do you think it's going to be Swerve in your glory or in our glory in 2025? I don't. Can't still be the Young Bucks. Can't still be Red Dragon or FTR, right? Three and a half years from now? Three years from now, I suppose. Anyway. I don't think they're there yet, but I have a faith that they are going to build a fantastic... Eventually, you got to get Mox and Eddie or Mox and Brian or Punk and Brian as a tag team. And even though those are all old guys combining, I could easily see three years from now, um, like with that level of freshness, them being a very overact. So that's it for AW for me. For New York, <laughs> this is what I tell you, think of their booking. I think their biggest male star three years from now is Roman Reigns. Unless they're still throwing Brock Lesnar a paycheck, but I'm going with, like, roster members. Uh, Roman Reigns, female star, hopefully, Bianca Belair, who I like and I do think they see something in, right? I know people hate the Becky Lynch squash, and of course I do too, but the way the stupid New York brain works, that almost does show they have interest in her. It's like, wow, six months later, they actually made good on that. Like, she got to beat Becky Lynch and made a big deal. Like, that's rare for them. So, hopefully they are keeping an eye on her and... uh, and see that enter in the way that I think they do. And then finally, NXT's The Creed Brothers, uh, who I think are, I've only seen, what, GIFs and two matches of theirs? So I'm a, a raw opinion here. But you, you can't have those out there forever, right? Eventually those guys got to put their feet up. Uh, I see, I love the Steiner Bros style of wrestling. I think that's no stranger to anybody listening to this. Uh, and I hope that those two can sort of hone in and funnel and become as great as they can be. And three years from now, it's them. Up next here, OB Jin Kenobi at Iraq Warliker, our pal Matt, Rainus for Clarity, of course, in the, the Discord, asking, what pro wrestler do you most associate with each color? Do as many colors as you like. Now, Matt, you, you stumbled into something here, because I love forced abstract association. When I worked at the door plant, my friend Duncan and I would just throw them back and forth and be like, Male, female, Coke, Pepsi. And then we just talk while we were hinging outdoors uh, about these, these, you know, these fourth abstract associations. So I wrote down a bunch of colors here. Blue, yellow, red, green, purple, pink, and orange. And then I told myself, I'm going to go write down this question 
and I'm going to do first to mind. Okay, so I felt like that was a good test of most associates. So I'm not saying this is the best boiled down answer. These are my first reactions to those colors. Here's what I wrote down. Blue, Yuji Nagata. That almost feels like cheating. Blue Justice, but I couldn't get around it. Yellow, CM Punk. I was thinking of the yellow GTS shirt. Felt like one of the only guys with the yellow wrestling shirt. Red, Rowdy Roddy Piper. The kilt, the fire on the shirt. Hot Rowd. Green, Jade Cargill. That's the color of money, baby. Purple, Rey Mysterio. I guess I was thinking of the Halloween Havoc gear. I guess Velveteen Dreams canceled. Who else is for purple? Yeah, I guess I see why I put Rey Mysterio. Pink, that's got to be the hitman, right? That, that one's easy. And orange, Taz. It was almost harder to think of more colors. After that, it was like, are there more colors than this? There might be. If you know more colors than these ones listed, put it down in the chat. Oh, I actually should say, uh, if you're listening to these answers and you have them, I love reading people's answers to these questions. So if you're in the Discord, go to the episode Discourse chat. And uh, yeah, everybody do in this order. Blue, yellow, red, green, purple, pink, orange, if you feel like it, or to any of these questions. Forced Abstract Association, baby. Next question here from uh, Le Canuck. That's French. Uh, that's our pal Ian in the Discord. Uh, named Ian, great scene partner. Of course, uh, a haunting answer on the rehearsal finale this week. Good golly. What historic superstar, say pre-1990, do you think would underwhelm a modern audience if they magically went from their peak to a modern match? Well, so many ways to go on this one, right? I think there's some more obvious answers than the one I'm going to give where you're, you're very low work rate guys that were over Yokozuna, Hogan, Warrior, that this ilk of guy would have done nothing by today's standards, right? But I almost went in the opposite direction um, where I really think that we praise Ricky the Dragon Steamboat for being, people are going to hate this answer, <laughs> Ricky the Dragon Steamboat for being like this innovator of, of all time. He was so ahead of his time in ring. And he's obviously very good, and the series with Flair is fantastic. There's no getting around that, and he is ahead of his time, of course. There's zero disagreement with anything there. But I think if you are like the pure work rate guy back then, boy, you are going to have a lot to learn now because wrestling work rate, it's almost what wrestling is about now, Ricky. I, I hate to tell you this, but the, the world has gone bananas. The Shawn Michaels and the Young Bucks ruined everything. And now everything's about uh, this sort of thing. So ima imagine being Ricky Steamboat where it's like, yeah, I'm the worker. People go bananas when I hit three arm drags in a row. <laughs> it's like a match. A match opens with, go, go watch Ricochet or Will Ospreay a couple of years ago wrestle a match. It's like three arm drags? Nothing going here. So I'm going to go Ricky the Dragon Steamboat uh, for his in-ring peak. This guy who was seen as just a, a phenomenal in-ring worker. I think work rate has just come so far. And then without the character and promo to prop up what there was lacking, I think he would just be lost instead of this perennial upper mid-carder that he was. Up next here, we've got uh, from at It Looks Real, our pal Flub. He asks, why do they keep kendo sticks under the ring in a pro wrestling environment? I don't know. Uh, up next here from the Exploder Creative Club, at Exploder underscore CC, he asks, Tony has said that he doesn't see Ring of Honor being a developmental territory. Now that we've established AEW as a promo territory, do you think Ring of Honor will differentiate itself by being the work rate promotion? If not, what do you think Ring of Honor's house style will be? It's kind of funny, right? Because 
what puts Ring of Honor so... I mean, they're trending downward, but what really nukes them early is the ascent of NXT sort of becoming them, right? Like, the early Ring of Honor is the the super show of the indies. It's the top guys from all the feds come here and square off, and then we have our in-house 10 to 15 guys uh, who are going to uh be our roster but we're also you know we're the superstars of the indies and that became nxt so quickly and i almost wonder if ring of honor is going to function as like a tryout area for the top of the indies and potentially as a road to aw in the way that ring of honor used to so you'll have a ring of honor set crew so who do we know that'll be right now uh claudio brian cage jay lethal samoa joe uh th- there's a handful of others i'm sure and then I wonder if they're going to bring in your GCW this, MLW that, Dragon Gate this, and use that as sort of your international... Because Rampage operates in this space right now, right? You remember the Manser match, or there's things like this where they bring in people. And I wonder if things like that will be on Ring of Honor, and then AEW pro- uh, programming is more your AAA, here's where the, quote-unquote, where the big boys play. So we'll see. That's my guess. Uh, their pay-per-views already feel like they have a bit of an identity separate from the AEW ones for me. They feel a bit more all-business and right to it in a way that I like. If they steer more into the pure rules, ring of honor, this is about the, or sorry, rules of honor, this is about the wrestling, I wouldn't hate that, but I don't really think they need to. I think that people kind of understand that already. Like, you can have built-in, oh, this guy didn't shake the hand, what a heel. Like, I don't know that you need the rules of honor. You can just do that spot at the beginning of a match if that's the only way you want to accomplish that. But I want, I'm curious to see if they will be installing more of that stuff, more of a throwback to your 2005 to 2009 Ring of Honor. We'll see, but that's my best guess. A a combo like it once was back in the day, indie tryouts and then their set roster of guys, hopefully long title runs and maybe just a bit more straightforward i guess i would say up next here a question from uh, a fellow portuguese which you, you know the question is going to be fire this is you, you know when danny derosha steps up but we're going to speak the, the same language and so here he asks if you had a choice to be the manager to one female and one male wrestler already on the aw roster and build them to become world champion who would you like it to be and why and so i clarify with danny uh, underneath in the comments that this is me i'm me right now uh, I, I'm not going in gimmick. I'm, I'm going in to help these people. And uh, I got to tell you, I have clear answers for both of these. So on the male side, it's basically been the same guy for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. I honest to God feel like I am the person who understands how we're going to make Claudio Castagnoli into the highest drawing money wrestler going. I've never understood that people can't get it right with him multiple feds or don't see top guyness in him i think when people talk about in-ring charisma or getting over in-ring i think claudio is maybe the example in my mind of that prime nakamura has some some of it too but when people see claudio wrestle they will understand him how is this carnival strong man doing all this stuff it's very obvious to me uh, and I wouldn't even, maybe you're all imagining me as some motor mouth machine gun. Oh, he's a, I, I wouldn't even say that. He's a prize pony to me. It's not hard to sell Cesaro as important, big time, and impossible to beat. And those would be the factors that I would stress with him. The other side, somebody to play with a little bit more. Because with Cesaro, listen, or Claudio rather, listen, Claudio, you, you sit down. I'm talking here. But I always like the Heenan and Rude, the, the Punk and Heymans, the back and forth. And I think Nyla Rose and I 
would be great bullies together. Uh, Nyla likes to sort of run up and down some of the opponents on the AW roster, and I would love to shit talk her and I trading back and forth lines against her opponents. Uh, she's this big rough and tumble bully. We're talking shit on people. Look at these losers. They're nothing like us. Not only do we have this title now, we're never losing this title. Uh, the, we're the roughs. We're the two toughest people around. We might even be third and fourth. Uh, and I think Nyla would slide into that role very easily. Meaner, ruder, less comedic, uh, scowling bullies, Nyla Rose and I. I think that'd be a lot of fun, and I think she'd be an incredibly believable world champion uh, with me alongside of her. There, there's my answers. Fun, fun to think about, though. I had a lot of answers for this one, Danny. A lot of different ways to go. Up next here, one from uh, our pal Ryan Lambert. Uh, he's asking sort of the opposite question as we got earlier. If I had a time machine and I could bring a late night or early nineties wrestler to the modern or sorry, late nineties. So not quite the same thing. A late nineties, lower card wrestler to the modern era. Who do I think would find success greater than they did in their period of time? So many different ways you could go here. Um, but I went with Ahmed Johnson. Uh, Ahmed Johnson, never world champion, an uh, IC title holder. But to me, Ahmed Johnson still might be the coolest power moveset wrestling's ever seen. I'm not saying he's my favorite super heavyweight or anything, but his moveset is ridiculous. In the video games, if you just give your character Ahmed Johnson's moveset, you will be like, holy hell. He's gigantic also. He's he's about the size of a... Um, I'm trying to think of who would, on the AW... He would dwarf everyone on the AW roster. Like, is there anyone they have who's roughly the size of Ahmed Johnson? I'm trying to think. Well, I guess Lance Archer, but in a different way. Luchasaurus, but in a different way. Regardless, he would stand out. And the guy was capable of doing power moves. Now, he never had to wrestle more than 8 to 12 minutes. You'd have to coach him into getting to the 15-minute title mark. But there's a guy that if you give a, a manager to is, again, just such an obvious attraction. A, a giant doing extremely cool moves. I don't even think it'd be difficult to get Ahmed Johnson from the mid card to the absolute world title picture in the snap of a finger. Here we go from the axe of the Wrestling Brain Network at the Matty Mac. The well-intentioned moron. I don't think you're a moron, Matty. That's just my opinion. Coming off a great G1 Climax final, what are your top five current... Guaranteed to see a fantastic match spots within certain cards or events. So what five spots on cards always deliver or at least seem to? So the, the number one spot for me here has to be the Wrestle Kingdom main event, right? Uh, going back however many years at this point, even running the two nights, I feel like the Wrestle Kingdom main event is always worth watching. I mean, in recent times, whether it's Okada Naito that I love so much, Jay White Ibushi, my, was it my match of the year that year? It was a six and a half stars, I remember I gave him a match. Incredible match, uh, Ibushi and Jay West. So many. Uh, so number one spot, Wrestle Kingdom main events. Second spot I give to the G1 final, right? Where, like you listed, I think going back years and years, that is a match I always like. Although I was looking through the history of it, I actually like the semi-mains a lot too. It's not always the finals that are my favorites in the G1, but it's a very surefire great match spot. And the third spot has to be the Rumble. I always love watching the Rumble. I, I don't know if that's a match on a card. I suppose, Okay, the main event of the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, maybe. But wherever the men's Rumble is, that is a... Although I did think the women's Rumble outdid it this year. But I just have more nostalgia. If they're doing the old return pops, it's like I've seen Molly Holly three years in a row. They're just, is, they were so bad with women that they don't have this 
pool of never-ending nostalgia to pull from. And so it's why I'll always be watching the Royal Rumble and why I feel like it's a guaranteed to see a fantastic match spot on a certain card. Uh, fourth, uh, oh, you say you do say current on this. So I'm cheating here. I didn't take this as current. But uh, NXT TakeOvers, back when those were the good old days, the, the Prime Ones openers. It was often a tag match, but whatever they put in the opening spot of the NXT TakeOvers in their Prime were always just fantastic, absolute burners, maybe fall in love with tag team wrestling in a way that I don't think I ever had before. Also some great single spots in that match, but that's number four. And then finally... AEW pay-per-view tag title matches. Going back through my ratings, they're, they're always good. There's one that scores under four and a half. Not many. A very guaranteed banger spot. Whenever Whoever's putting up the AEW tag team titles on pay-per-view, that's going to be a good one. That's my top five. Scoots Brodo, bringing the heat we're here with the next one, asking, when will Cody come home to AEW? Uh, and like you said in the comments under Scoots, man, whenever his uh, New York contract is up. That seemed, no, I mean, uh, will Cody ever come back to AEW? That's not the sense I get. Uh, and I think maybe I'm on an island here. I think people think the going back and forth is maybe the most carny thing he'll do or, or what have you. But I don't think the AEW locker room in, as a place to go back to is a place Cody wants to hang out. I don't think a large swath of those people who are going to be relevant in two, three years whenever his contract's up are all that fond of him or don't view his leaving as some sort of weird betrayal after founding it. So my, I'm going to say he, not before 10 years, if he comes back, it'll be like fully in TNA or flair in TNA where it's, it's like, how much are they paying these guys? Just a depressing thing. But in terms of relevant Cody going to be in the title picture, AW Cody, I don't think we ever see it. I think he'll hold true that he can never challenge for that AW world heavyweight title. The pace man here up next at pace fall asking, What's the most dire reclamation project? Or, uh, uh oh, the screen went out as I was reading his question. I want to make sure I get the wording exactly right because I thought that it was very funny worded. Oh, now where is it? Now I got to scroll while I'm on air. I guess a better broadcaster would pause here and then just make it seem like there was nothing going on here. But not me. What's the most dire reclamation project you think you could fix? And how would you do it? One name came to mind here for me instantly. I was talking earlier with Blake's question about how much I love L.I.J. And that sort of doesn't include Sonata, who I'm not a very big fan of. But it did include Evil, who I was a fan of, even though he always felt like sort of the black sheep of uh, the faction, what with his goth gear. I like all the aesthetic choices that they've made with Evil over the course of this heel turn, this start of the him and the fellas doing all the nonsense House of Torture bullshit with Dick Togo and whatever else. But I like the look. I like the gladiator skirt. I like the hair down. I think his new, I mean, it's not new anymore, but his current theme is one of the best AEW, or rather uh, New Japan entrance themes. And I think you could make him somebody that people want to see in main events, or maybe in like a, a Lance Archer, the heel for the first title defense for the new champion role, but not as the sigh and groan. He's not a useful heel at this point. Like people aren't craving to see people beat him. They're craving to not see him wrestle. And I just don't think you'd have to tweak all that much. I would head on over there and I would say Dick to go has got to go. Oh, I just got a notification. I'm the half millionth person to make that joke. Sorry, everyone. Uh, but he really does because he's ruined this act. This is something that you have a breakaway from a faction, this big Naito feud. You remember the baseball stadium, the fireworks when Naito wins it back? This is like a money feud they were doing 
but they've just turned him into dirt. Just something that no one could possibly... If somebody told me that they enjoyed watching evil matches, I would say, no, you don't. What are you talking about? What You might enjoy the first two-thirds of them or something, but he doesn't have matches with... It's, the, it's literally the same thing in half of his matches. It's nuts. You make him physical. You make him... If you want to turn up the supernaturality a bit, that'll depend. Or you're asking what I would do? Okay, so I wouldn't. I would say... Here's a big, wide bruiser, but we're going to turn him babyface. He's going to return to LIJ. He's going to body Dick. I don't care if Dick to go can bump or not. He does that one little back bump on the apron. Let Evil do his old Uranagi on the damn apron. He's going to floor Dick Togo. He's going to apologize to Naito. And maybe he's even the defender of LIJ against the uh, surging Shingo who's trying to take over. There's something there with a the babyface Evil. We have to get back to it. I thought that they really had something exiting that Naito feud. And they've just done him so dirty that I can't imagine anybody enjoying them. So in terms of turning something around, I literally think you could go from no one even wants to see this guy on the program as dire as it could be to oh i don't mind this guy being in the world title picture and it wouldn't be that hard so uh i'm picking evil here we go mike zordon the great trilling mcginnis of course md zordon on twitter assuming forbidden door becomes an annual event what theme would you want for a sixth aw pay-per-view if any so I'm going to give uh, an answer for what, if there was going to be a sixth one, what the theme would be. Because my actual answer is I probably wouldn't want a sixth pay-per-view. And if I did, I probably wouldn't want it to have a theme. But that's not very interesting. And I think we can get to something cool uh, by just engaging with the question. So what I'm going to say is I am, I think, again, listeners to this program or the Wednesday or Saturday shows will know how much of a sucker I am for an elimination match. I love them. Uh, I do not know why we don't get them more in AEW or New York. I know people feel very protective of pins. Like, oh, you can't pin three guys in a match. You absolutely can. You just have to attach big stakes to it. So I would do, I didn't think of a great branding for this, but thematically, a four corners elimination match. WrestleMania 2000 style. Now, I know, of course, that one doesn't work. But every year it is decided and this, this is where the trusting question gets a little tricky because I don't like these forced, oh, it's October, so we have to have Hell in a Cell. But I do think that one I could get into is if you were the champion, you know that if you happen to be holding the championship, whenever it would be, I guess, when would be the sixth pay-per-view in their schedule? December, full year November, March. Yeah, I don't know where you'd put it. Anyway, whenever that time of year comes, if you happen to be the champion, you know that you are going to be defending it in an elimination match with three other people. No staggered entrances, no no steps beyond it. A four-person elimination match for the world title. I don't know if I'd have it for both the women's and men's world titles. Maybe you flirt with, okay, it's women's one year, it's men's the other year. Whatever it is, a forced elimination match in AEW. It's AEW presents four corners. Whatever the hell you'd end up calling it, they'd, they'd figure something out. But a annual pay-per-view that forces a four-way elimination match. And, and, and if you wanted to do it for the tag belts, I'm fine with that too. Four-way elimination tag also works for me. Anything where we are uh, eliminating people in a match for titles. Is something I'm trying to get towards. I didn't realize this when the questions came in. Lots of time machine talk. Is something are time machines in culture right now? The true Rory asking me, if you had a time machine that could only work once, what is the one match you would travel back in time to watch live? Uh, I think I might have even gotten this question before. Always the same answer for me. I wish I would have been in Sakara Genesis in 2017. I wish I would have seen Shibata's last match. I wish I would have seen Okada Shibata. 
maybe the hottest New Japan crowd that I've seen since watching live. When people say, oh, Japanese crowds are quiet, I always say, mm, you got to go watch Okada Shibata. They, they can be brought to life if what they if what's in front of them is one of the most compelling pieces of theater that's ever been committed to camera. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, Okada Shibata, I would just... I know it, functionally, I can still go to New Japan and watch Okada wrestle, so it's sort of a crazy answer. Like, why not go watch Taz and Bigelow and ECW or something where you can't even see the performers? But I just think the electricity in that building of Sakara Genesis must have just been something else. And I would have firsthand liked to experience that something else. That's me. I want to know other people's answers on that one. I mean, all these questions. But is there is there a time travel match that feels massive to you? Put it in the chat. Do the episode discourse. Discord. There we go. A Cullen classic coming in here. From John Cullen at Cullen the Comic asking, Tell me a match you would personally absolutely love to see between two current AEW wrestlers that has the greatest chance of being a one-star match or below. It could be great, but it could also just be horrible and you'd die to see it either way. Well, you know me. You absolutely know me. Who loves a hoss battle more than your boy? And I'm putting four arguably green, maybe not green, learning, coming along hosses uh, in a four-way match that I'm going to insist is only 10 minutes long between Wardlow, Nick Camarado, Luchasaurus. <laughs> I, was, I was debating, no, I'll do it. Okay, and Lance Archer. We'll have somebody in there who can sort of try and hold this together. Although I guess if I'm gunning for a one-star, okay, pull him out, it's Powerhouse Hobbs. That's the four man. Has to be 10 minutes, and I want to finish. This match just could absolutely fall apart because there's no ring general. Camarado and Wardlow are outright green. It's like, okay, Powerhouse and Luchasaurus are going to ring general this. It has a lot of chance of going sideways. It also has an unbelievable high ceiling of being great as long as you keep the time short. This question was, uh, it made me laser in. It made me think hard. But I think I got there. Fatal four-way. Hoss battle. Let's get to it. And closing out this month's mailbag. Well, I say this month as if it's like every month. Today's mailbag, I suppose, is really what this is called. From Crime Gumby, of course, Gumby in the chat. Closing out tonight. Asking an independent-tinged uh, question, which I always love to get here. I'm happy to take any chance to talk about the damn indies. I remember a time in my life when I watched more independent wrestling than I watched wrestling on TV. Think about that. You done thinking? This is me scrolling for the question again, in case you didn't notice. I just have written down here, get to Gumby's. I'll ask you. Okay, here we go. The indies love doing war games now. It's true. And even going back before GCW did it, my local that's now shut down, ECCW, was running war games too. Ever since uh, NXT brought it back, it's definitely been back in the water. If you could book a war games 5v5 using only indie folks to burn the house down, who are you booking? Fantastic. Okay. Two teams. I'm calling one team old school. These are five wrestlers that are going to talk about how little respect they have for the indies. These are five people who have drawn money. They've been on the big stage. But they all are also available. Team old school. Led by low key. Austin Aries. Matt Cardona. Josh Alexander. And Austin Aries. 
Or wait, did I say that? Low-key Austin Aries, Braun Strowman, Matt Cardona, and Josh Alexander. Four heels, or five heels rather. Five people who have drawn money, who have held belts, and would incessantly talk about how they are better than the independents. Now, the independents are going to answer. They're going to answer with a super team. A representative of five different independent federations are going to take a stand for independent wrestling. Now, we're going to squint a little bit here, okay? Because representing PWG is their current champion. And maybe you all are going to say, that's not an indie wrestler, but he takes indie dates all the time. Representing PWG, their current champion, Red Death, Daniel Garcia. Team leader. Oh, sorry, not team leader. I'll finish on the team leader. MLW? Well, they're going to bring the heavy that can match Braun Strowman. They're calling in Calvin Tankman, the boss, coming in here, representing MLW, going to be their heavy. Representing Beyond Wrestling. The current, the current uh, person I can't get off my mind, Masha Slamovich. A long stand. I looked up her Beyond record. I didn't realize she was such a, a stalwart there. I suspect Craig has probably been trying to tell me about her for years. And I was like, oh, yeah, man, that's cool. It's hard. There's so much wrestling. But uh, Beyond is being represented by Masha here. H2O's getting in on the action. And their school leader and hero, the bulldozer, Matt Tremont. And his tag team partner, the other half of Hate Club. Of course, since the passing of Nate Hatred. Rest in peace, big Nate Hatred. Nick fucking Gage will be both representing GCW and leading Team Indy in Team Old School versus Team Indy. You could build this across the five indie promotions. You could do a giant run-ins at a couple shows across all of these. You pay, you know, low-key one day, Austin Aries one date. Maybe you only pay Braun Strowman for the, the pay-per-view because you know that he's expensive, but you have him cut a video promo. The thing is you can have these people spread across these independents and then come together at one of these big shows and uh, have a big war games match and that's what i would do i hope that you found that as a satisfying answer everybody and that will do it for the mailbag again thank you all so much for your donation it means so much to me i'll talk to you every day in the discord as long as i'm still on two legs i can't fucking wait for all out i, I don't know if you're all feeling the heat in that way too i'm just buzzing about wrestling right now i can't wait for wednesday can't wait for wednesday after that and hopefully i can't wait for all of the wednesdays after that i will talk to you all very, very soon. I hope that your weeks are finding you well. I hope that you're good food and drinking lots of water. Until I talk to you next.